Today, we are going to start the conversation with Kyle Asman, Managing Director at Black's Backswing Ventures. Kyle, welcome to the show. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. So let's uh, get acquainted. Tell us about your background a bit and also about Backswing Ventures. Sure. My background um, varied throughout different parts of finance. I was fortunate enough to have a really strong internship in college and get the opportunity to work for Goldman Sachs and Duff and & Phelps and learn a lot about investment banking. And then I started a boutique advisory firm um, actually in January 2018 and exited that in October 2019. And then I launched Backswing Ventures in February of 2020, which was an interesting time to start a venture fund. Um, but it's a smallish venture fund focusing on seed and Series A investments, investing anywhere from 250000 to a million in uh, early stage companies. So we have a, a pretty good sized portfolio now. Our fund's fully deployed and we've had a, a several successful exits so far. And how big uh, was the fund that you have deployed? The fund was $15 million. $15 million. Okay. Let's uh, double click down a little bit into... What was the investment thesis of Backswing Ventures so far in, in the money that you have deployed so far? I imagine you're going to be raising another fund and, and so forth based on this. Uh, but what, what was your investment thesis between 2020 sure. and 2022? Sure. So I had a very clearly defined investment thesis. I wanted to invest in companies, one, um, that had a minimum of a million dollars in revenue. It's super, super hard to start a business. Um, and I wanted to make sure that, you know, companies had proof of concept and, and could sell a product to a real customer before, you know, giving them capital for investment. Two, I wanted them to be profitable within 12 to 18 months of investment. I have a big focus on profitability where we're seeing really a lot of the venture space go right now and, and more and more funds are getting focused on profitability instead of growth at all costs. Um, and three, I wanted companies that were thinking about exit opportunities, because ultimately when you're running a fund, the way you get compensated is the sale of companies. So I want companies that are thinking about, you know, growing, becoming profitable and, and selling their businesses within the next five years. So those were kind of my three criteria. And then I narrowed it down. And the majority of the companies aren't in portfolio or in software. We have a couple companies that aren't, but the majority are, are software businesses. Okay. Now, um, it's an interesting investment thesis. Our uh the vast majority of the venture funds that we see in these um, forum, this forum, is uh, tend to be more of the traditional venture style. So I'm actually very interested in your investment thesis because we do believe that not every company can be a unicorn. You know, venture scale growth, zero to hundred million dollars in five to seven years, is a is an anomaly, not the normal. Uh, rhythm of business. So uh, my first question is, how do you find, as a VC, how do you find companies that already have a million dollars in revenue and are interested in working with you? Because, you know, that's also a, a territory where other venture funds are also interested, but they're interested in it from a growth focus. You're interested in them from a capital efficient business building profitability and exit focus so how do you find that the that special kind of company yeah so i think one of the reasons people like to work 
with backswing specifically is because we're to a degree hands off on the day to day operations. So I'm not overbearing on any of our founders. I'm not trying to push them in one direction as, or another. I try and just serve as a sounding board for them on an as needed basis and really help them with financing along the way. Those are the two biggest value adds. I think some, you know, people get scared off by certain venture funds that can be a little bit overbearing. People want to run their own company. They want advisory help, but they don't want to be, you know, kind of told what to do day in and day out. So I think people like that. But approach, that's, but... After, that's after they have come to you and they've decided that they want to work with you. How do they find you? How do they? So I mean, they, they, this is these are two different, slightly off-center kinds of entities, right? A, a, a company that is already doing a million dollars in revenue is profitability focused, not growth focused, and is interested in a relatively early exit so that's those are the characteristics of the yep the business yeah, so, and on, on the other hand you have a particular kind of venture fund that is looking for those kinds of businesses so how how what what is the source of your deal flow so i see a lot of deal flow from other venture funds that companies might not have the growth rates um, that they're looking to see I get a lot of people who reach out to me via, via email, honestly. Um, I probably get somewhere between 10 and 20 emails a day just from different companies. Not, you know, not saying that any of them tend to be a fit. Sometimes they do, sometimes they don't. Um, I network with a lot of lawyers and accountants and people who are involved in the formation of these companies. I, I do, you know, do a lot of networking with you know, other fund groups and you know, business groups in the area. Um, so I, I really, it's a lot of networking trying to get out. And then you know, once you put yourself out there enough, people start to find you and come to you looking for funding and then you can evaluate the deals. And how, what is the geographical spread? So actually it's really, um, it's really anywhere globally. We have a company we've invested in and it's based in Israel. Um, the majority of our investments aside from that one are based in the United States, but we've looked, you know, close and hard at uh, multiple companies in France and the UK. And we do have one investment in a company based in Israel. Okay. And uh, double-click down for me on software investments. So what in software do you like to invest in? Are we talking about B2B SaaS or enterprise yeah. software? What, what, where do you like to invest? I, I like to invest in B2B. Um, consumers can be flaky. I, I really like to go with business software. I understand the multiples and the metrics and you know what companies are looking for from an acquisition basis and what the numbers should be. So I've really become sort of an expert on the numbers and B2B SaaS. So I'm very comfortable investing in that space and knowing, you know, having a pretty good eye for what companies are going to be ultimately successful and what companies are going to be ultimately unsuccessful. So that's that's kind of the niche I've, I've hollowed in on. But if I find companies, um, as I mentioned, I have a couple of companies that are outside of B2B SaaS. They fit my criteria perfectly and they have really strong founders. So we invested in them. But, you know, the bulk of <laughs> the bulk of the portfolio is in B2B software. Okay. And you said you've already had a bunch of exits, yeah? Uh, yeah, to date we've had two. Two. Can we uh, do those two case studies? Tell me more about what these companies did. In what state did they approach you? What did they have at that point? And how long did it take for those companies to get to the exit? And what were what was that journey? I want to kind of understand these two case studies a bit better. And I'll tell you the, the overall framework in which I'm um, asking you these questions is the context, what we call bootstrapping to exit. We actually have a track in 1 million by 1 million for the kinds of companies that you are looking for 
where people want to go to exit straight away. They don't want to, you know, spend. They want. They don't want to swing for the fences. They want to build capital efficient ventures, and then then they go sell early. So so we actually have yeah, very good strong interest in what you're doing. I think that you, you know you make a good point. Those are the kind of a lot of the companies I try to shoot for. If you can invest in a company, you know, that's valued at say five million dollars. Um, and it goes to, you know, $50 million. That's a phenomenal return for any investor. Or if it's, you know, $2 million and it goes to 20, which those numbers are a lot more reasonable than some of these companies, you know, you'd be investing in a, a $500 million number that to get the same multiple return has to go to 5 billion. When you talk about 5 billion, you're talking about, you know, major fortune 100, fortune 500 public companies. I mean, to build a company to that level is extremely, extremely impressive, but it's tough to do. Um, I was meeting with someone yesterday and I talked about, you know, Apple, look at the challenges Apple and Amazon had getting started. I mean, you know, Jeff Bezos started Amazon. It was an online book retailer. Now it's debatably the most successful cloud software company in the world with Amazon Web Services. And same thing with, with Apple. I mean, I don't think anybody would debate that Steve Jobs is one of the top visionaries ever in the technology space. And he got fired from his own company. And there's people who sold, you know, large chunks of that company for $10,000 that would be worth, you know, hundreds of billions of dollars in, in today's money. So it's it's hard to do to get to that kind of Fortune 500, Fortune 100 level. So, yes, I like to focus on the companies that are a little lower in valuation, um, but most of them will sell for less than 100 million and still get really fantastic returns. So talk about the case, the case studies of the two companies that you've already sold. Yeah, so um, one of them was in real estate technology. Again, it was a company we invested in that was profitable, had revenue, and um, they were, you know, pretty quick to exit. It was going to be like a two, three-year investment. They needed some investment to grow some things, and and kind of get to the next level. And they did that. Um, and then the other one was actually a secondary sale. So that company went from, you know, very little in revenue, actually, you know, just at the million-dollar threshold, and grew it, you know, well into the eight figures in revenue. And they did a pretty nice secondary sale a little bit earlier in the year. Um, but again, both, you know, both companies were really focused on, on profitability and they understood that, you know, in order to get where they wanted to go, they needed to be cash flow positive to get investors in this climate. You have to be thinking about cash flow, you know, cash flow positivity. And both of them were the whole time. I think that was really their key to success and why people were interested in buying, you know, pieces or, you know, the entirety of those businesses. Are these both SaaS businesses? Um, one is a SaaS business. One is not a SaaS business. What is the other one? It's a uh, property technology. So it's selling to both consumers and to um, and to businesses. Okay. So um, what I'm going to ask you a couple of questions about this bootstrapping to exit strategy. You um, there is the traditional you know, strategic sale option. Um, is that something that you are seeing as as your natural exit path for the kinds of companies that you're working on? So for the kinds of companies I work on that, again, are just generally their, their goal is not to become unicorns, yes, because a strategic can afford to buy them, but those larger companies that go to later rounds they're less likely to be acquired. Oftentimes they're not profitable and they have significant cash burn. That's why they raise those massive rounds. And they're just too expensive, especially with where interest rates are. Most of those acquisitions are financed by debt. 
So right now they're just far too expensive to be acquired by strategics. And the other thing, you know, on the strategic side for the companies, when they get bigger, if you're a massive software company like that, odds are you're going to sell to, you know, the Amazon, Apple, Facebook, um, Google of the world. The government's gotten a lot more aggressive from an antitrust perspective on allowing those larger acquisitions to go through. So that's kind of put some pressure on the on the high end of that unicorn market. And those companies are really kind of jammed right now because the IPO market's been dead for, you know, really since the end of 2021, almost a whole year now. And the larger companies in the technology space haven't been that acquisitive. So um, it's, it's an interesting spot they're in. But yeah, the, the smaller companies have been getting acquired by strategic. When I say smaller, I mean, you know, companies valued under 100 million. Uh, your exits have been at what price range? Um, so one exit was far under 100 million. One exit was far over 100 million. Um, it's kind of it's kind of a spread on the two exits. One of them was at roughly 8 million. And one of them was, you know, again, it was a partial exit. It was a secondary sale and it was in, in the hundreds of millions. Um, so I'm going to talk about our experience with strategic exits. There is actually a great market for strategic exits. Not, it's not, it just doesn't just go to the large companies. The strategic exits don't happen with the very large companies in the, the ones that you're mentioning, which is the fangs, basically. There is a very robust hundreds of you know, very successful software as a service companies in various different aspects of the software industry, and all of them buy companies. So there, is, there are hundreds of acquirers who buy companies from a strategic uh, interest point of view. So that's, you know, our bootstrapping to exits analysis, and we have actually sold companies from our portfolio with a bootstrapping to exit kind of track. Um, our analysis is that there, there are a lot of takers for that particular track of building a company, there are actually a lot of takers. And in, in SaaS in particular, there are a lot of strategic takers. There's a lot of acquire that goes on. There's a lot of, you know, kind of product expansion. If you have product market fit and if you're generating revenues and if you have some sales force synergy in the acquiring company, if the acquiring companies are looking for product market fit companies that they can sell through their channel, kind of upsell, cross-sell into their uh, install base. That's one of the motivations of that kind of sale. Another one is to acquire a new kind of technology, AI being one of the core ones. Everybody is looking for AI expertise and acquiring AI expertise using an acquisition as the way to get that expertise in is, is going on in droves right now. So. So I think the strategic exit option is definitely a significant one. And by, by the way, the vast majority of such exits happen at the sub $50 million range. Yep. So, um, so it's, it's really important to keep the idea of a capital efficient venture building on site. The other one that you mentioned, this secondary, I would like to double click down on that. Could you elaborate on what you mean by a secondary exit? 
Sure. So secondary could be um, if you have a stake in a company if, as a primary venture investor, you invest it in the company originally and a private equity fund, a large family office, maybe a major bank or, you know, a much larger investor wants to come in and buy that stake in that company for either strategic purposes um, or just for purely financial purposes at a much higher valuation. That's what they're doing. Um, so that we've seen that happen in one of our companies. We've seen actually some secondary tender offers on some other um, private company stocks, but this, the secondary market is actually growing a lot more robust for private companies as these funds are investing and you know they want to get L LP liquidity. Sometimes the founders need some personal liquidity. So there's becoming a lot larger of a market for private company shares to be purchased before um, the company is acquired or the company goes public. Right. So this is not an exit. This we are seeing a lot of, actually. This is not an exit for the founders. So this we don't really Correct. consider bootstrapping to exit. This is more a fund strategy of small funds that cannot really do the pro rata. They don't have the, enough money to do the pro rata in very large rounds, later rounds. And, um, and, and they, you know, spend two, three, five years as investors in a company and then as series C, series D starts to kick in and larger investors get involved, they exit their portion of the holding. And this, a lot of small funds are following this strategy. Um, Kyle, you have a question from the audience. John uh, Knapp is asking, uh, are you doing follow-on rounds with the portfolio or is it just one round that you invest in? So as you just kind of mentioned about the you know the pro rata and the large round it the answer is it totally depends um a lot of times we'll invest if the company is a bridge round or a later round but you know if we invest in a company at a valuation of six eight million dollars and they're doing a series b or series c at 100 million the amount that the amount of equity we would get from you know that purchase at, at that valuation typically just isn't worth it to put that additional yeah. capital to work the returns are so diminishing that you know, we've kind of rather focused that capital on one companies that are still in a lower valuation range or two, uh, just a new investment. So, the answer right. is it depends. So, John, um, you know, to for you to help you understand this phenomenon, the small funds, you know, when it's a fifteen million dollar fund, uh, fifteen million is a very common micro VC number. There are a lot of fifteen million dollar funds out there, and. Um, these funds tend to have the strategy of exiting the secondary exit that we just discussed. There's a lot of secondary exits that happen in Series C, Series D, um, even Series B. So at the, these funds don't necessarily do a lot of prorata. They actually exit early. So that's the answer to your question. It's a different kind of fund management strategy for these micro VC funds. Um, and the other thing that I've, that we have seen in, um, especially in emerging markets, where uh, there aren't there isn't a lot of capital available. This was the early story of India. It's there. It's a story a lot right now in Africa, where you know it takes longer to build companies. So the people who do the very early rounds, for these companies to get to a a trajectory where in the next five years this is going to become like a you know million to hundred million it maybe takes three years or four years to get to a million and then the million to hundred million journey is going to be done by different VCs the people who 
bring these companies from the VCs who bring these companies from zero to one million, let's say, or two million, uh, have already spent three, four years going through that early company building, and they tend to exit also in, in these uh, the, the big venture rounds. So this is another phenomenon that helps the emerging markets come kind of come up to par. And this is happening all over the world. Latin America is seeing this behavior as well. Okay, um, what about going forward? What is your game plan with the next fund? Yeah, so I think the next fund is going to be similar in size with a you know, very similar LP base and a, and a similar thesis so far. Um, you know, this fund's worked out well for me and for my limited partners. So we're probably going to launch fund two in either the first or second quarter of 2023. And I think at mm -hmm. that time, I think inflation is going to start to curtail. And I think there's going to be, um, you know, good opportunity for investment in, in the venture space. Very good. All right. Well, thank you for your insights. It's a particular topic that we actually uh, try not to lose sight of, which is the you know, the, the market that is what we call alternatives to unicorn chasing investors. You know, if everybody chases unicorns, then there's this whole large spectrum of companies that are not going to be billion dollar companies. They kind of left, they're left unfed, so to speak. And, and we, because our mission is 1 million by 1 million, you know, million entrepreneurs, million dollars and beyond in annual revenue, we have to, you know, have explore a much, much, wider spectrum of possibilities. So uh, it's important to keep that in mind. Thank you, Kyle, for coming. Yep, thank you for your time. Thanks for having me.